The following audio was recorded at the Pacific School Leadership Institute, which was held October 24 and 25, 2019, in Spokane, Washington. Well, there's hardly enough time, right, to visit and talk and wow, what a what a fun day. So our session here this afternoon is, and I'll just have to start with tipping my hat to those of you in the front couple rows. Thank you. I was getting concerned that I'd be marooned up here by myself. And if you're a speaker, you know what being marooned feels like. And so uh, it's fine wherever you're at, but I was just hoping a few people would come up here. I, I'm a, I guess I'm a teacher. What that means is I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed all the time, right, because I'm talking to students and I say things wrong and I'm constantly embarrassed. So I don't mind embarrassing a few other people and ask them, hey, can you move up or whatever? And it's fine with me, you know. So it's just nice to have to do that today. So thank you. So we're talking here about equipping for the kingdom. And um, we already mentioned before, and I'd just like to summarize a few things here to provide a little bit of context for what I would like to say in this session. Um, I noted that we are to love God with whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. By the way, the mind is included in the book of Mark in that love. We are primarily and first lovers of God through heart, soul, mind, strength, and from that outflow to love neighbor as ourselves. On these two commands hangs all of the law and prophet of all of the law and prophets, and on these two hang the gospel of Jesus. And on these two rest the work of the school. And so Life as believers flows from this particular mandate. And uh, so last evening I talked a little bit about schools being a servant of the church. Um, And I talked about uh, this morning, a little bit about the practices. Uh, The last session was, was very helpful in here. Uh, when a brother talked about, well, how, what about entertainment? What about social media? What about these things? And how do these practices actually change us? It's worth being honest about that. Um, by the way, in a uh, study that was done um, about four years ago, five years ago, um, they, they say that parents are as addicted as young people. I'm just mentioning it. Is actually really not a a children problem. It's a parent issue, because if we indeed are so attached, a young person at Faith Builders recently said, "You know," he said, uh, "When we children are at home and we're and their families mostly grown, we're around the table. All of us don't even look at our phones." She said, "Dad always puts his phone on the table. Then he, you know, it dings or buzzes and beeps, and he checks it, and we get on his case." Here's, a, here's, a, here's an example, though, of, okay, so we all recognize the shaping power of all these things, and, and so the practices really do affect the school. So when we think about equipping for the kingdom, I'm trying to give a little bit of an overview here, it's going to matter, okay? Technology is going to matter. The curriculum you use is going to matter. For instance, do do our young people know about Dirk Willems? Do they? If not, why not? What do they know 
about their history. That's why I brought living history along, by the way, if you browse through. Because I think it's important that we know the stories of who we are. We talked about the singing. Uh, practices. Practices such as how do teachers talk about the church after a members meeting which things did not go well. How do teachers talk about it the next day when a high school student comes in saying, that was so ridiculous last night, I couldn't believe that this was, they said that. What's the teacher's response? The teacher's response right then is part of your curriculum. It will have an impact on the church like we might not want to imagine. And so these, these schools being a servant to the church in practice, I think, is really big deal. But I like to think about school this way here. I would like to think about schools producing servants. So equipping for the kingdom means schools equipping and producing servants. I'm spending the rest of my time right here. So I see a need for us to, to, to have an alternative consciousness maybe in terms of what school is for, the why, what motivates us. Why do we teach math, phonics, history, science? Why don't we have sex ed in our schools? These are important questions about value. What kind of... Why are we doing what we're doing? And why are we not doing what others do? So I'd like to begin, and those are value questions. I'd like to begin with some scriptures here. I'm going to read them fairly quickly. They're common scriptures. Maybe that's why we forget, we maybe lose sight of how this impacts the school. So, Philippians 2, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 8, knowledge puffs up, love edifies. 1 Corinthians 13, and though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Matthew 6, in this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Galatians 5, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if ye bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. Romans 1, James 1, 2 Peter 1, Jude 1. Paul, a servant of God. James, a servant of God and Lord Jesus Christ. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. John 12, 26. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, let him, him my father will honor. Matthew 20. Mother of James and John is talking to Jesus. Says, Jesus, do me a favor. Can they sit on your right and left? Of course, the other 10 disciples are in an uproar over this question. And Jesus essentially said, look, you have it all wrong. My kingdom is so absolutely different from everything you know about earthly kingdoms. And then he called the group to himself and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. 
Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Micah 6. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God? All right. I know I went speeding through that. These are familiar scriptures, right? But they call us toward a certain posture an orientation toward life about those who love God and how they'll actually live their lives. Training servants for the kingdom is what school is about. It is not to create smart people. There may be smart people in your school. That's wonderful. God gives that. But it's not about creating smart people. It's about creating servants who use the gifts that they have been given for the benefit of the church and for those around them. So, I'm asking that we consider building our schools very intentionally around the first and second commands. And it's a costly commitment, really. To nurture an identity as a servant is hard. To cultivate the skills, attitudes, the habits, the actions of servanthood, how do you do that? Really, like, I'm not a very good servant always. I'm sure you are, but, but I'm not always. I, I, I'm selfish. It's hard to constantly serve other people. One of the goals of a servant education is to redirect energy from the American dream to the kingdom dream. And I keep using that term, but I realize how Americanized we've become. And when I think about, and I don't know if I'm stepping into a can of worms, forgive me if I am. I am not trying to say, hear only what I'm actually saying, not what you think you hear me saying. In today's era, I am disappointed in how politically active we've become. And Trump has become, I mean, we should love Trump because somehow the economy's roaring. Really? Now, by saying that, you think I'm evidently pro-Hillary or something, or that's not what I said. The political activism is part of the American dream. Servants don't see government and politics as our end game. We are to respect, honor, obey our government. But I'm hearing a lot of Mennonites wanting Trump to be in office, a man who has taken pictures with porn stars. He's been unfaithful. Now, I know most political figures, that seems to be a lot of the way they live their lives, it seems like historically. But I'm saying, why are we involved here? Is that as big as our vision gets? Is that how we serve? Is to vote. There is plenty of evidence, I think, that we are shifting our thinking toward the American dream, the American ideal, which actually has to do with a whole lot more about economic success than it does with kingdom success. And I'm for business Business is mission. I'm for running godly business and making money. 
I am not for making that our God and wanting to manipulate and control government so that I can have what I want. That's not the kingdom vision. That's the American dream. So what kind of schools? What are the aims of our schools? What, how are we going to go about doing this? So I'd like to step back and just ask this one question. So why a servant education? I just want to say a few things. In a world that sacrifices its youth on the altars of convenience and the happiness of parents, we have the opportunity to offer a compelling contrast. Flannery O'Connor said, and I quote, push back against the age as hard as it pushes against you. What people don't really realize is how much religion costs. They think faith is a big electric blanket, when of course it is the cross. Rod Dreher said, and I quote, to raise children who become adults with the moral strength to resist the defilements of the age requires an extraordinary degree of sacrifice from parents. And even then, there are no guarantees. What choice do we have? To surrender our children's hearts and minds? I just think that our schools can be part of this solution. We can help push back against the age. We teach for eternity. So, I'd like for us to explore how can we equip our young people for a life of service? Where the idea of our school is not to create smart people. Not to create a way for them to be economically successful, although I'm for that. Like, we need to make money. In fact, schools can operate without money. Like, I'm really for, in case you wonder, I'm for business. <laughs> it, it's, it's how I get paid, actually. And the, the better off you are, maybe the better off I might be, actually, is the truth. <laughs> okay, so, now that's selfish. That was, see, that's not very servant-like, so let's not go there. But, but you understand, what I'm saying here is a certain posture, a way we utilize the resources. So how are we going to develop our young people? in ways that they actually serve. They see their lives as a gift to the world to bring them to the cross. How are we going to do that? Well, I'd like to think that equipping our young people for today and the future, equipping our young people for our churches will have a lot to do with our practices and... Of course, I've already been saying that, right? Our curriculum and the ways we approach those things. So we want servants. What are we going to do to get that? Well, so can I just give you some examples of some things that, some ideas for you as boards to kind of think about or maybe, and I want you please to understand these are ideas. Because I had it, might mean it's a very bad one, actually. But, but if you could think about what's behind the ideas and think about what works for your school to produce servants, one of the things that we realize is that it is harder and harder for our missionary organizations to find people to go on the mission field. Is that right? Okay, that's what I'm hearing. 
And so we got, we, we've been talking about this for a long time. One of the things we've done for years that, that I think now is starting to show fruit a little bit is we do a World Awareness Day. So you might have a Missions Emphasis Week, but a World Awareness Day. We just did that two days ago. It's a lot of work. And we don't do classes for one whole day. Well, the youngest grades do a little bit. And you'd have to make it fit your school. So I understand you might have you know, two teachers in school. You might have five. You have to figure out how it would work. But one of the things we do is we bring in, we have a local missions awareness in the fall, in October, two days ago. And we have one in the spring that's internationally focused. And so yesterday, one of the things that's happening in our particular town is that there's a lot of international students coming to college. And the fact is, our families have a lot to offer people like that. To see families functioning, there is a director of an organization in Pittsburgh that says that the students, our church does some of this hosting. They said students that go to your families, they, they come back with rave reviews about being there because they've never watched a family function together. Despite all the squabbling and the problems and whatever, there's something there. It's compelling. So we had an international student emphasis. And a couple in the community that does a lot of that spoke in the morning for an all-school chapel. And then I had another family, actually from our church, that's very active, talked about how do you start doing that? And it was a powerful message. The couple both did, some, did the presentation for grades 7 to 12, and they talked about who they are, who we are, and bridging the gap. Essentially, a beautiful lesson in cross-cultural communication and how what we have, we're not, we should not be ashamed of being a Mennonite. Oh, we need to be proud of it, but we don't need to be ashamed of it. We have something to offer. So how do you serve your community? You could host people. You could, you could be hospitable. The term they used was welcomers. I hope that when they see Allegheny College students at a very liberal school with Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims walking around, there's a hint of something there. In the spring, uh, then the afternoon, we do service projects. Grades 9 to 12 goes out, and they wash and wax the fire trucks. And junior high, I'll take junior high, and we go to somebody that's had medical conditions or issues like that, and we clean up their yard for them, rake, rake the leaves. And then we, 5 and 6 often goes around and sings for a number of the neighbors around the school, and 3 and 4. You get what I'm doing? It's very intentional. How can we awaken them to being servants? And it's interesting to hear then these older people saying, thank you. This is how it used to be. All right. World Awareness Day, service projects. That should be a part of our curriculum for producing servants. Now, you recognize I do care about the academic program of the school. I just think the academic program of the school should include things like this. It's also important. So, does your school have um, candy day or weird hair day or mismatch day or anything like that? Um, so, about 15 years ago, I, start, I probably started getting old and crotchety. I don't know. I'm not sure. And I started thinking, how is this changing the culture to one of service? And love for God. And I couldn't figure out how it had anything to do with anything. 
except it's kind of a fun day. See, you have to understand this about me. I kind of don't believe in the winter blahs. They don't exist in our school. We create this, actually, for our students often by our comments. Oh, yeah, the long winter. Or, yeah, it's going to be a lot of rain here. It's really cloudy these days. I mean, I'm, I'm crazy enough to say that Mondays are the best day of the week. And the whole student body at our school knows that. That you better come in with a smile Monday morning because I think it's the greatest day of the week. Everything goes downhill from Monday. Why are you all laughing? See, we've been Garfieldized. Garfield doesn't, didn't like Mondays, did he? See, I think sometimes we sort of take on these things and forget how it's really a part of our curriculum because it's the way we talk about stuff. I mean, yeah, it's, a, it's such a great weekend, and students start living for the weekend. How is that service? Okay? So I'm constantly actively promoting, hey, what a great day. And we make sure we start Monday off really well. You see, part of our curriculum is that I stand at the front door and welcome every student into the door. Very important to me. Make eye contact. Say as many names as I can. We have a little over 100 students now, and it's bounced around from 70 to 100. But uh, numbers don't mean a thing. This means a lot more work, by the way. That's all that means. Believe me. Um, and, And so that's part of the curriculum. We actually train, we teach grades one to four how to look at an adult and say good morning. Do you know how many children can't do that very well? We just train them how to do it. Yeah, we wish parents would do that, but we know how hard that is. I actually have five children of my own. It's hard. And you can tell them now, when you meet somebody, you, you know, and you look at them, where did I fail? Like, this is just a common part of being human. You say good morning or hello or look at them. No, we, so we practice it. So we take students to nursing home before we go. Now, let's practice how we talk to old people. What's the first thing you could do? We role play. Have the older students be the old person or me be, that's better yet if I'm the old person. Uh, that fits. Uh, and, you know, we, we role play. We talk about how you, what questions could you ask? What's one question you could ask to get the conversation started? Because it's awkward, right? Now, why do we do that? It produce servants. Like, the skills needed for kingdom service includes being able to look somebody in the eye and make eye contact and say good morning and then know what to do next. You see, the whole day can be infused with that kind of intentionality and it begins to create certain kinds of students. It's a part of our curriculum. No, Christian light doesn't have a hospitality subject that you take. But I can demonstrate it even while I'm teaching. Now, I, I am concerned this session becomes something that means I'm anti-academic. I'm going to say this again. I'm, you understand that I think that's the, one of the big roles that we play, is to teach logic through algebra. Yes, you ought to take algebra if you're going to school. Absolutely. And I could stand here for 15 minutes and tell you why I think you should. But see, I'm choosing not to. Most of us have decided that there are a number of things that we ought to do in school academically. And we're trying to do those things. I'm talking about what does it take to equip our young people for life? And it includes academics, but I'm assuming you're doing the basics, okay? I'm trying to help us think about another side here so that we have well-rounded students, not just smart students. Okay. 
So um, now I made this little foray. It's dangerous for me to get into these topics because I make these little uh, rabbit trails become paths. Uh, So let's back up a little bit again. So I find winter blahs to be something that adults create for children. I find Mondays being bad, something created by parents and teachers, by the way they talk about Mondays. And by the way, parents would do well to think about how they use their weekends so that their children aren't completely wasted come Monday morning and they walk into school looking like, and see, I just don't have any patience for that. So we just, hey, you're tired? Next, next Sunday night, you get your sleep. In the meantime, I need you to perk up. We're going for it. And you got to give them a little kick in the seat of the pants, and they'll often rise up to that. They'll go home tired, but they'll rise up to it. Okay, so, so these are parts of becoming, if you're a business owner and your employees come dragging in Monday morning, that is just not very compelling. And you don't want them to be meeting customers right away then. Work, work is part of the creation mandate. We're to work. I tell students all the time, you were built to work. Mr. Miller, that can't be true. Well, let's read it in Genesis. And they were to work before the fall. Did you know that? Did you, did you kind of skip over that? But they were to tend the garden before it was bad. Okay, before it became work is part of the creation mandate. So yes, we engage in work. And that means we have certain attitudes about our work. Therefore, winter blues, we don't have February fun days. Because what does that communicate to students? That the rest of the days aren't that fun. And we have to do something to kind of ramp it up. Let's get excited. Well, what we do is we just make our students work like crazy. January, February, it is just loaded. They're loaded. They do, they do writing projects. They do the research papers. They write their autobiography, maybe. They do all kinds of projects that are big and take a lot of energy, and we just keep rolling right with it. And before they know it, because you know, children that are busy are happy. Before they know it, oh, here we are. It's March, and the thaw is coming, and you know, before long, we can be outside again. Okay. Am I making sense? We, 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 this is part of equipping students, is them hearing the ways we think about these things. So, weird hair day, candy day, I said, what is that going to do? So, we decided that we're going to have a group of four, a committee of four in our juniors and seniors. So, 11th and 12th graders, we do have a high school. We're going to have four students elected, and their big job, it will be known as a student council. But their big job, that's kind of a too big a term. But you know what their job is? Their one job is to plan days that build good school culture. So yesterday, uh, they had an all-school recess. All 112 of them. And the teachers, too. And they split everybody up into two groups. And uh, so that's 50-some per, and they had a blast. They played fox and geese, 12th graders with 1st graders. Okay, now, you see, equipping people. This cross-generation thing, generation today, doesn't connect very well across the generational lines. How do you start doing that? 
I'm trying to give you some ideas that might percolate or, or get something going in your, in your thinking. We do chapel groups every Wednesday. We meet for an all-school chapel. And every older, we start from the oldest and go all the way down. There's groups of five students. And the oldest students all have four students with them. And what we do there is that they are responsible for that group of four. So there's five, a chapel group, call them a chapel group leader. And there's four students across the grades. We have grades one and two together, three and four, five and six, seven and eight, nine and 10, 11 and 12 in our school. So what we do is we take kind of about one from every grade. And that's where they, they're in that group for the entire year. And we talk to our oldest students and say, now you've got a responsibility. Your job is several fold. One of your jobs is to lead that group well. What does that mean? That means if they're cutting up in chapel, you're, I'm not going to, I'm not going to call it down. You're calling it down. It's time you wear your big boy pants. Grow up, okay? You're going to have to, you're going to have to buck up. It's your job to take care of that problem, not mine. And we, we eat together occasionally. We do lots of things throughout the year in which these chapel groups, first grade to 12th grade, is together. And the older students learn how to serve the younger students. And the younger students learn to respect the older students. And it built a sense of momentum that when I get bigger, I'm going to be there. Hmm. And by the way, when they get there, they almost don't want it. It's something they want when they're younger. And by the time they get there, they realize, oh, I'm in charge. It's kind of like when you thought you wanted to be the preacher. Because then you could do things right. Until you about got there, we're in the lot. And then you decided, oh. That's a lot harder than I thought it would ever be, right? It's not that dissimilar. So, so the student council plans days that build good school culture that help us build servants, okay? So I found that to be extremely helpful. It's not just about teachers doing all the work, but it's about the oldest students planning things. So in 7th and 8th grade, I have a committee of four people, two boys and two girls. Now, if you're a Mennonite, we, you'll have a committee in your church, won't you? You'll have potlucks, fellowship dinners, and, and committees. That's just how we do things. It's wonderful. Both of those things. But you, you've worked on committees where they didn't work, right? Very well. Or maybe you haven't. But I have. And so, 7th and 8th graders, did you know that 12, 13, and 14-year-olds can actually, they plan the recess, they plan the, the, the game, they plan the teams, they get it going. The only thing I do is shut it down. And we talk about how to have a committee meeting. We rotate out who's in charge. We don't put the girls in charge, but the guys in charge. But we talk about how, to, how, to, how do you run a meeting. 13-year-olds can figure it out. And then we talk about as a class, how's that going? Well, it's kind of hard when people complain about their games. And I know I used to do that too, but I don't think I'm going to anymore. You know? It's funny how perspective changes. So we believe in group therapy. We're kind of like a boys' camp sometimes, I think. You know, we just, some things you just got to talk about in public, all together. And so we do. See, I, I, I'm hoping that pays off to be able to serve their church through quality committee work. They learn how to 
do something about leading. I was just talking with a brother here in between sessions, and I hope this is okay, Brother Wesley. He said, what do you think about high school? Well, that's stepping into something rather large that I don't want to tackle here. And um, I want to be very careful here, but I want us to think about something. When we think about producing servants, we have to think about our times. And so I by no means am saying that school should have through 12th grade. I'm not. I think what we need to do is reconsider our times and what it takes to prepare young people to serve. So 30 years ago, in eighth grade education, see what happens is dads will come up to me and say, hey, I don't understand why. I had, I had a board member one time. I, I, I have to tell you this. I had a board member one time. We were talking about whether we should, we should require Algebra two for every student who graduates from our school. This was back in another era, another school, and where I'm currently at. And he said, what? He said, Algebra? He said, he said my lands, my, my brother, my brother about died from that. Or everyone laughed. And then I didn't, I didn't laugh, though. Okay. He said, look, I went through eighth grade. I didn't have any of that stuff, and I did fine. You know what that means? Should I translate that for you? I went through eighth grade, and I'm a multimillionaire. I did fine. But is that the definition of fine? He's a good man. Good man. He was fine. Okay, he did just fine. My point is here, what does it take to prepare and equip young people to serve in the church? To serve the world? So I don't know, should you have algebra two or not? I don't know. So in that discussion, all right, so that, that brings up then the idea of, well, how many, how, what best produces servants? So I don't know, should you stop at eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, or 12th grade? I don't know. I don't know what's right for your school, but here's what I want to say. 30 years ago, when we were all mostly on the farm, an eighth grade education worked very well. My only question is, will it suffice in today's era? I don't know. You have to ask that question. Is there enough equipping? Let me tell you why I said this. I'm, I'm treading on dangerous ground, right? I hope you understand. I'm not saying that. You understanding what I'm saying here? I can easily be misunderstood here. When you think about church offices, think about what it takes to develop young people. And I know I'm, I'm middle-aged and just a hair beyond there. Um, so I'm a little beyond the millennial stage. But think about what it is that it takes to do well in church life. So let me give you some more ideas. How do you create kingdom servants of the church? Well, one of the things we do is we have our high school students, because they're ready for this, they actually, they actually teach a Bible. We have a, we have a kids club in the area that a lot of our people help at. So what do we make our students do? Well, we have a speech class, and one of the things they do is they teach a Bible story to first and second grade. Because that's what they'll be doing when they, if they help with, at the kids club. All right? What about teaching Sunday school class? What about guys having devotionals? What about leading singing? These are all things we require of our high school students. You're going to learn to lead singing. You can serve your church well if you know how to lead a song. So yes, we take time to work on those basic, what I consider basic things. 
Think about your pastors. Do you know how much you expect of your pastors? Do you realize how that's changed in the last 20 years? Pastors, can you raise your hand in here? How many ministers? A little higher so we can look around and see you. Okay? Is there more expected of you than we used to expect of pastoring? Do you feel that? Now, there's a few of you saying, "Uh uh-huh, just as I am without one plea. There is a lot of expectation on our ministers. And here's the thing I want to say. Suppose we could help prepare future generation of pastors. So, yes, they have devotionals. They have topics. I used to, um, a previous school, uh, there's a couple different people that came to our, uh, that, that weren't from our particular church, that, that came to our church school. And I would visit, I would assign them to have devotionals. I'd talk to the church leaders and I'd assign them, they'd have a devotional in their congregation and I would observe and critique and give them feedback. Maybe that's unholy, I don't know. But here's the thing. I remember one time, we were talking about this at, at our school in Bourbon. We were saying, what do students need? Should they have speech class or not? And we, we made speech class requirement. And um, we ran it every, what, three or four years. Just sometime in their high school experience, they would have a speech class. And I remember one brother coming to me after one of my seniors that year gave a devotional and, and just did really well. It came from the heart. He presented it well. It was clear. And he came up to me. And he said, I opposed you, and he did, on the idea of speech class. I don't want sort of hoity-toity people who, and I don't either, right? But I didn't want people that just can speak well. But he said, if I could communicate, he said, I'm 50 years old, and if I could communicate as well as your 18-year-olds would do, we would be in a better place as a congregation. I don't know if that's true or not, but I think about those things. How can we equip Young people, what are the tools they need right now? What do you need in your congregations to make things work well? And let's do those in school. And if you only go through eighth grade, you have to think about how you use seventh and eighth grade to get that accomplished. So you understand you have to apply all of these things. But suppose we had the op. Look, we don't go to seminary, right? Suppose that school could be a place where they learn some of those skills, like Bible study skills. How many churches are able to? Now, maybe Malin can do this. I don't know. But how many churches are able to do to teach their congregation how to study the Bible, Bible study skills, besides going to Google, which happens a lot more in devotionals than there used to be? just mentioning it, but truth, can a church actually teach Bible study skills on Sunday mornings, Sunday schools and Wednesday nights? Maybe, maybe not. Do they? Most congregations don't, but suppose we said school, that's a place for you to help us teach Bible study skills. So we teach ninth and 10th grade Bible study skills, and they take whole passages and they work at what's the background, what's the cultural background, what was going on in that time, who were the people, what is, was actually being said, what was the context, and then here is the summary of what was happening. Now, we've got a lot of problems in our school, don't worry. Unless you think, okay, please. But I want you to know, 
that I think that's been helpful. I watched my own son in 10th grade talk through a passage through the book of Philippians. And I think, wow, that's, he's doing more than if I would have been trying to teach him along the way. Because he gets graded on it, and he does assignments, he gets feedback, and it's helping him learn how to study the Bible in 10th grade. Okay, though, that could be a Bible class, right? So what skills? And I don't, I don't know if you're disagreeing or agreeing with me um, exactly. So, so I may be inserting myself in ways that I shouldn't be. So forgive me again. But, but I want us to, re- I think our schools can become the curricular. How, how do we produce servants? One of the ways you produce servants is to give them the skills that they need to do a good job not for their own glory, but because they have something to offer and they ought to offer it. I, I know it can become an issue of pride. We must resist that. I'm very careful with the kind of affirmation I give high school students in what they do in the public things, right? I think you've got to be careful. But I also know that I love listening to people that can package something and present it well. Our world needs clarity outside of Google. Might schools be a way to produce people who can do that for us? What about praying in public? I'm always intrigued at our church. It's a terrible problem we have. Uh, Brother Freeman fictitious character. Brother Freeman, would you lead us in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for the... Everyone's kind of looking around, seeing is the prayer done yet or isn't it? It's humble, right? Or not? And so we have them take turns at lunch, like, like a lot of your schools do, praying for the noon meal. And we say, now we need to lift up our voice so others can pray with us. Am I making sense? You see, these are all things that can help our churches, but they're little skills just all on the way, and they're done with intentionality. It's that we have to stop and think what we're trying to produce and say, well, how can we produce that? Writing notes of encouragement. If you're a pastor... Or a leader, you know how much a note of encouragement means. We make that part of our routine. Our students need to write notes of gratitude to people, different kinds of groups of people. Uh, two days ago, they all wrote the pastors of their congregations. They wrote a note. And they put them in the mail. Yeah, it wasn't even an email. It was a postage stamp. They got mailed. And those pastors will open that up. You know what it does to a pastor? Do you know how few of us actually end up doing that? Do you know how beautiful it is for them to have to think about what's good about their pastors and encourage them? Even when they're third graders? How can we build the church? How do we equip our young people? Christian stewardship. There, there are so many things we can do. There's so many things that, we, we, that will help us, I think, as we go about our duty. Maybe we should think about doing CPR, first aid. Maybe we should teach boys how to tie knots. And maybe we should um, 
do a cross-cultural communication class. Or maybe we should teach photography or, or writing, and there's not nearly enough graphic designers anymore. Christian Light would love to hire a few more. Where are they? Suppose we'd help there. What about food preparation and presentation? What about having a, an auto mechanics class for a couple of weeks? What about, how about carving a boat? See, these are all, can all be part of the curriculum, part of what we're after. But what are you after? And so I just want to summarize by saying that, you know, some things just don't fit well in church. Like leaders can't make them happen, right? And some things are hard for homes to make happen. If we can talk together about what kind of servants we want, what are the skills they need, the habits, the attitudes, the posture, we can actually help that be accomplished through the school. We can pick up those loose ends and get that to happen. Gardening. Our students have to butcher chickens. Our high school students do. Y'all know how to butcher chickens? It's a lost art. How are we going to keep butchering chickens? you got to teach them somewhere. Parents aren't. They're not raising chickens. But I think in 20 years, they may need to know how to butcher a chicken. So they're butchering chickens. Other girls do not like it. And they get a little blood on them. It's good for them. I love it. It's earthy. It's what they need. It's so gross. Well, sure it is. That's how you get your chicken on the table. You understand where your food comes from? Right here. Whack the head. They had to whack the heads. We actually made them not all exactly whack the heads, but most of them did. What are the skills we need for the future? Talk about it. Figure out what the home, the church, and the school can do. God bless you as you produce servants in your school.